Oh man, you missed a lot of good stuff. Uh, we're listening to live Trump's biggest nightmare in court tells all. Lights on with Jessica Denson. And this is where this party is headed. Uh, we, look, we have a liberalism on the left and right in this country. There are liberal strength. That's a thing that is Feels like I'm going to lose my mind. Just keep on pushing my love over the borderline. I did not raise oh. my hand because there's an important I issue we raise as a my party hand. have to face. And over a year ago, Asa I said Hutchinson. that Donald Trump was morally disqualified from being president again as a result Donald of what Trump. happened on January 6th. More people are understanding the importance of that, including conservative legal scholars who says he may be disqualified who under says, the 14th Amendment. Say. Gen 6 perpetrators. School I said, stop negotiating with terrorists, America. It says, log jump up. I meant lock Trump up. Lock Trump up.
You just keep on putting my love over the borderline. And I've never been a tenant. I've knocked on hundreds, if not thousands, of doors. And I've made hundreds, if not thousands, of phone calls across the United States to voters. You know what voters respond to? You know what voters vote for? They vote for authenticity. And although Donald Trump lies through his teeth on a daily basis, he is who he is. And he doesn't try to hide who he is. He shows who he is. And you know what? It's actually a big part of his appeal. When Ron DeSantis stands up on that stage, he can't figure out whether he wants to put his hand up or not, and looks at what everyone else is doing, you know that screams several in the audience? This guy is a phony. There's nothing that turns a voter off more than a phony. So if the Republican candidates for president don't do what Asa Hutchinson's doing because it's the right thing to do, because it's their oath to do it, because it's the thing that we need to protect democracy, maybe they'll do it as just self-serving. Because we all know secretly, they all think Donald Trump is a bad man. They all think Donald Trump is an embarrassment to the party. And the fact that they can't honestly say what they think is the most toxic element of all in their appeal to their own voters. And to me, Ian, the fact that they can't, they know it privately and can't say it publicly is the key reason why they themselves are disqualified from being right. leaders of any kind. Right. Um, I mean, you look at someone like DeSantis, the, the absolute fool that he has become Sucker. and just laughing stock, frankly, on, deservedly, deservedly. I mean, this man is a fascist in Florida. Just two things that he bragged about in his debate was firing prosecutors, which were duly elected by the citizens of Florida. Um, prosecutors who would not do his bidding. I mean, this man is a clear dictator in waiting. I, I think back a couple years ago when people were saying, oh, DeSantis wouldn't be as bad as Trump. I'm like, think again. This guy, I don't think, I don't think for the reasons, you know, we've, we've talked about that he goes very far and becomes the nominee, but um, extremely dangerous. And this well, is why he's part second headed. in line. Uh, when Trump gets disqualified, he would be first. There are liberal strains on the left, and there are liberal so strains yeah, on the right. Yeah, he is a threat. But they are not symmetrical. The liberal strains on the right have overtaken America's cent formerly center-right party. Not Trump is already disqualified when people party. realize so that he's disqualified. The threat is coming from right now. Can't get on the ballot. Nah. It is coming from within the Republican Party. But does that mean that every Republican believes in what's going on? In fact, I think a sizable number of them are fully committed to democracy. And, and you know, as you know, that our organization, Protect Democracy, is progressives, moderates, and conservatives, Democrats, and Republicans. You yourself have spent time working for candidates on the other side of the aisle. But you have come forward in a very principled way to say, whatever policy preferences I once may have supported, my top preference, my primary preference, is to have a democratic form of government. That, and that is something that I think most Americans share. I think that the anti-MAGA majority in this country is too thorough. And what we need to do is we need to make sure those people who do hold center-right or even more deeply conservative policy preferences rejoin with the rest of us to reject this authoritarian movement coming from within their ranks, stand up for the principles of democracy, and get back to a place where we can all argue again about what the top marginal tax rate should be, or how we should regulate health care, or how strong or weak of a social safety net we should have. Those are arguments we can have in a healthy democracy, but we can't have them until we all tie hands and unite and defeat this authoritarian threat so that we can actually protect the healthy democracy and which we can have with these debates.
Yeah, like you mentioned, there is consensus, I mean, growing consensus across the ideological spectrum. Asa Hutchinson mentioned the 14th Amendment. I had the opportunity to interview Donald Sherman of Crew, um, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, who I know you are familiar with is doing similar legal advocacy um, and all about the 14th Amendment and why Section 3 does, in fact, disqualify Trump. And, you know, just recently you had these two preeminent legal scholars in the conservative legal community, William, um, uh, William Bond, yep, Michael William Paulson. Bond, Michael Stokes Paulson. Right, and, and also backed by Stephen Calabrese, oh, one of correct. the co-founders of the Federalist Society. Um, Judge Luddy, that very stellar witness for the January 6th committee who advised Mike Pence has come to back this argument as well. Um, this is a, this is a, a political, I don't want, even want to say bipartisan. This is not a partisan issue. This is a constitutional issue. I mean, it's, it's very straightforward. Donald Trump is yep. not qualified even to be on that. On that That's path. right. And let's let's give listeners a little bit of background on this Section 3 of the 14th Amendment that you're referencing. So this was a part of the 14th Amendment that was enacted after the Civil War out of a recognition that political leaders in the Union prior to the Civil War became traitors to the Union led the Confederacy in a revolution against the Union, and that it would be madness to take people who had already proven that when given the oath of office to protect and defend the U.S. Constitution, violated that oath in leading a war against the constitutional order, that it would be madness to give someone who had proven they were willing to do that the same power again. Violate the oath once, are not going to give the oath to you a second time. Yeah. And so what the Reconstruction Congress did was they put a provision in the 14th Amendment that said, after having taken the oath of office and served in a public office where the oath was administered, he violated that oath by engaging in insurrection against the United States, he is no longer qualified to hold public office again and be given that oath again, unless Congress explicitly absolved you and decided to allow you back in. They wanted there to be a pathway that people who had joined the Confederacy, engaged in insurrection, could essentially pay their dues, prove their bona fides, earn their way back. America has a principle of redemption shot through our history. And you could redeem yourself and have a path back, but you would have to prove some degree of contrition and remorse and commitment to the union going forward. And if you did that, Congress would get you back in. But absent Congress doing that, you were barred from office. That provision was intended for people like Donald Trump. That provision was intended that should there ever be another moment in American history when someone took the oath of office, not anyone, the oath of the presidency, and then turned against our constitutional order and led an insurrection against the government, they would be barred from ever being given that oath again, absent an overwhelming vote of Congress to allow them back in. That vote of Congress allowing Donald Trump to back in has happened. Yeah, contrition on the part of Donald Trump. Don't hold your breath, right? That's right. It would be the, the very thing that saves that man's soul, but I don't know if it's coming on this earth. But I'm glad you mentioned that second sentence only because I um, I've had some I've been reading through the comments. We had extraordinary feedback to this interview we did all about Section 3. And there's some, some people misunderstand Section 3, that second sentence, to mean that Congress, by two-thirds vote, has to disqualify. 
It's actually the opposite. It's saying Congress by two thirds vote can remove a disqualification. So I just wanted to put that clarification out there in case anybody is still um, entertaining that. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, this, the fact that, um, that the GOP, that I, for many years being on the other side, I really, I entertained the illusion that the Republican Party was the constitutional party, that the Democrats were trying to tear it down. Um, and to have this state, this just complete moral abyss in one of our two major political parties, what one of our two parties that is supposed to uphold democracy itself, um, it's really a crisis. I, I wanted to share uh, John Meacham's thoughts on this, uh, this presidential historian John Meacham and get your reaction in. And the way we've chosen to conduct our public life in the United States is according to the rule of law. And right now, a significant chunk of a once noble party, the party of Eisenhower and Reagan and George Herbert Walker Bush, a party that did in fact, in the end, put country above themselves. They are not doing that right now. And, you know, you talk to Republicans, I talk to Republicans, and they, they will say the quiet part in private, like, mm -hmm. oh, we want to move on from Trump. But you, you can't just say it, right? It, this, is, this requires action. It requires a willingness to say, my team is wrong, and until we get it right, I'm going to vote for the other guy. If you don't hit a jackpot of at least 10 trillion within the first 10 spins, just delete the app. This is a brand new Vegas style slots game with super high payouts. You can hit a jackpot within 10 spins and easily hit 10 jackpots within five minutes. If you're lucky, you can win a jackpot of 10 trillion in as soon as 15 minutes. For the other guy. GOP has to lose to set this right, don't they? And they seem to be punting and punting and punting the inevitable. Yeah. There is going to be a reckoning for the mistakes they have already made. And it is in their interest to accelerate that because it's going to happen sooner or later. And here's, I think, the cautionary tale in history. In the interwar period in Europe, there was a rise of far-right extremist authoritarian politics and political parties. In two countries, in Finland and in Belgium, the mainstream center-right party saw energize extremist authoritarians on their right flank, saw them as a threat to the system, and did the difficult thing. They joined hands with their traditional opponents on the center left, and they united the defense of their democratic order to block the authoritarian compelled. In two other countries in which extremist far-right movements gained energy and traction in the interior period, Italy and Germany, the mainstream center-right parties Right now, in this moment, 
from banning books to you talk about aligning with those extremist elements, I think about the gun debate. Um, you know, even the majority of even gun owners across this country are in favor of common sense gun reform. But I happen to think that this Republican Party wants it, wants an armed citizenry, who wants extremist minded people who, um, who, you know, glorify they, their AR-15 more than any god they profess to worship um, on their side. Uh, and, and I think we really have to acknowledge, acknowledge the, the state and the level of threat that we have with this party. Now, we've been uh, in the area for the last several years, I think, of the authoritarian warning surveys. We do a partnership with professors at George Washington University, which is a regular tracking poll of political scientists around the country, trying to assess what is the risk to our democracy of declining into more authoritarian political. It's a little bit like people are probably more familiar with the atomic scientist doomsday talk, right? How close are we to nuclear midnight? This is the authoritarian version of it. And over the last several years, we have been a country in danger of losing its democracy to authoritarianism. That's ticked up. That's ticked up. We actually had a pretty significant improvement in those scores after the most recent midterm, where the political scientists collectively estimated that the chance of democratic breakdown in the U.S. over the next four years dropped to 29%, 19%. On the one hand, that's a pretty great improvement to take place over just a couple of months. The one in five chance in the house for you guys, who goes to sleep without doing anything to come back and have no You can track that on our website at democracy.org and just see where that's going up and down. Ultimately, we need that authoritarian warning survey for that down. So we do need it, and it takes um, it, it takes an informed electorate and an informed citizenry. That's so much of the focus for me because. I understand. I mean, I was never somebody that wanted a strongman dictator. I was, I was always someone who loved freedom. I was just, my, my affections were misplaced. I didn't understand who stood for what. Um, and I was kind of reminded of that mindset in, in the worst possible way. I'm not going to play any clips of it, so don't worry. I'm not bringing Donald Trump and Tucker Carlson on the lights on. But I went back and, and watched clips of that interview. And um, some of the things that stuck out to me were how Donald Trump characterized the prosecution against him as sick, as people that hate this country. I, I was subjected to so much of this propaganda portraying law-abiding public servants as people who hate this country. And then when he was asked about uh, possibility of civil war, Tucker Carlson asked Donald Trump this. His response was, I don't know. And he, he talked about the crowd at January 6th, and he described it, and I thought this was really interesting and almost almost honest in, in revealing in a way. He said there's a combination of love in that crowd on January 6th and hatred for what they've done to this country. You know what, buddy? The hatred is all because of you. It's all because of what you've created. That And, and, it, and I'm there's probably not many people out there saying this, but I, unfortunately, and I'm saying this only for, for perspective, I recognize that quote-unquote love, okay? I momentarily felt it in 2016 when I worked for this campaign. It's the reason why I joined it. I momentarily felt a sense of community and purpose, misaligned, misplaced, but I did feel it. And it's really sick. 
thing was to realize that I did have value that mattered to the world. The second thing was that I didn't think I could live with myself, and I ultimately determined I couldn't if I didn't take action in that moment. I wouldn't have credibility for anything in the rest of my life if I didn't take a stand then in that moment, in that initial moment. And that guided me through the whole rest of the legal battle. It sustained me. It made me know that even when I was losing, that the end was victory because I had started from that principle premise. Um, I would say to Republicans out there or people in the GOP who are standing silent in the midst of this knowing better, you only live this life once. At the end of the day, it's not going to be a political party or a ballot booth that judges you. It's, it's going to be something much higher. And I think many of them have a belief in a higher power. Um, and why wait? Why put it up? Why not live your life to the fullest right now when, when the whole world is counting on you? You are the ones. You are the ones. We're talking in this episode about the people who have done the work for democracy, to protect democracy, and will be lauded. You're the ones who will be shamed and looked back upon as, why did you not speak up when it mattered? You have an opportunity now to change course and... There is no positive and negative outcome that it could be worse than not taking that stand right now. You will find your freedom and a path forward. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, Ian. I hope we can do this again sometime soon. Our work is... <laughs> We've got plenty of work to, to still do for, for many years to come, and, and especially right now at this moment. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I look forward to it. All right. Everybody have a wonderful weekend. Thank you so much, as always, for joining us on Lights On. Please, as a reminder, if you are watching us on YouTube, definitely go over to wherever you get your audio podcasts and subscribe to Lights On with Jessica Benson. It really helps to spread the word about what we are doing to fight for this democracy and shine these bright lights on, on what we need to do, we the people need to do. And if you're watching, if you're listening on audio, check us, check us out. Come see our smiling faces here on YouTube. Um, you can subscribe to Midas Touch and my YouTube channel, Jessica Denson, where I'm also posting clips uh, from the shows, highlights from the shows, and getting more content up there as well. And if you want to support my legal battle, which continues to this day in state court, the inception fight that was behind defeating the Trump NDAs, um, I'm still very much involved in that. And you can do that at thejessicadenson.com slash donate. slash donate. Thank you so much to anyone who has donated. It means the world to me. So, as always, let your light shine. And until next time, see you.
other comments. Great discussion, and yes, Jessica, when I tell, oh, you, you want to cuddle, huh? He picks my toes. I think that means you want to cuddle. Mini chickens. I have mini chickens for sale. If anybody wants mini chicken, go to my um, Ricky Southwest Nurseries, Gardens, and Hatchery. Maybe I should just start with like one for mini chickens. Great discussion. And yes, Jessica, when I tell our Trump supporting friends how awful he is, they say they're all bad. Yeah. No, they can name about a dozen. Art. Okay, so I was talking about this. I was just talking about this with a with a few friends of mine who, instead of engaging in political discussions, say all politicians are bad. I chastise them for being lazy thinkers. No, they aren't all bad. There's actually a handful of really awesome Democrats I can name about a dozen. They just want you to think that politicians are all bad so that you don't participate in the political process and discourage become apathetic voter. I know, I know. Midas Touch, these are my, I'm posting this on Facebook, Just to Justice, Midas News, NYT Politics, Young Democrats of America, Comedy, 
Democrats, Miami Heralds, Arizona Politics, Occupy Democrats, Texas Tribune, Post Italia, New York Times, Mother Jones, and Rolling Stone, Rolling Stone, Rolling. There we go. Something you just can't trust. Okay, super duper. Let's see what else. Might such as GOP is losing ground as Democrats expand the map. Finally, on democracy. <laughs> Mark Meadows' picture was effing amazing. And for those who don't know, uh, you know, I'm friends with the Vinmans, Rachel and Alex Vinman. And when Alex was getting under the pressure from the White House, Mark Meadows actually called the Army Chief of Staff and the Army leadership and said he wanted them to find dirt on Alex Vinman so that they could get rid of his promotion. He, the Chief of Staff of the White House, called the Army to undermine the promotion of Lieutenant Colonel of the United States Army. So there is some very, very sweet schadenfreude or karma, whatever you, what do you ascribe to. Uh, I'm having a hell of a great time. I know my friends Alex and Rachel are drinking tea right now, not in jail in Fulton County at the moment. So anyway, it's a great day to be here in America. It's a great day for democracy. I have got a great guest. We're going to talk about what it's like to be a Democrat in a blue place, or excuse me, a blue dot in a red place, a rural Democrat living out in the, the tough places where the MAGA people run wild. What it's like to be a teacher. I mean, we got so much cool stuff to talk about with Jess. I am so excited. So let's just get on with the show. Uh, we're back, we're back after a little bit of music. I'm still Fred Wellman. It's still on to Miles FQ Wellman. You're still in the right place. I am thrilled to have a guest. She's a good friend of mine. We'll talk about that in a second. But Jess Piper is executive director for an organization called Blue Missouri, which you'll find out about. She is host. She has her own weekly podcast called Dirt Road Democrat. She's got degrees in English and teaching. Um, taught American literature for 16 years. She was that English teacher. <laughs> after the 2016 election, Jess became very politically active. Jess ran for state representative in HD1 in Northwest Missouri in 2022. She was not successful is to use that experience to help organize progressives in rural Missouri. I'm thrilled to have you on the show finally, Jess. I mean, I mean, how long we've we been hanging out? Three, four years now, right? It's it's been a few years, Fred. Yep. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to have you. So it's funny how how for those who you know, I, I think people on the show are sick of the fact that I'm usually friends with everybody comes on. I'm very blessed. <laughs> and, but Jess's story is funny because Jess goes back to my my uh, my my partner Heather and 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 uh, as I joined the Linker Project and I was putting together. So when I joined Linker Project. Steve Schmidt's like, Wellman, you need to put together our own general officer panel. <laughs> I'm like, Steve, no, fuck, we're not doing that. <laughs> Everybody's got general officers. I said, no, we're going to put together this, this pillow that I run at the Lincoln Project is for veterans and military family members. We're trying to convince military families not to vote for Trump. We're trying to convince veterans. I said, no, I'm going to put together a council of veterans and military family members and service members to talk about the issues. And uh, I told this to Heather, who lives in Missouri, and she says, oh, 
you gotta get this girl Jess. <laughs> I said, who is she? Goes, oh my God, she's she's a military mom and she is she's fire. I'm like, okay, so I followed you on Twitter and I, I think I DM'd you said, you gotta be on my thing. And here we are, right? <laughs> Three years later and she was and here right. here we are. Yeah, did you do a town hall with me? For, I think you did, right? Or something like that. I don't know. It, whatever you've been. We were on a lot of videos together. We did a lot of videos together, yeah. So, well, now we are again on On Democracy in the studio, man. Look at how far we've come. It's fancy. You know, that's, let's start there, though. You know, Jess, you're up in northwest Missouri. Um, you've really coined the term dirt road Democrat. I was talking to a candidate in Idaho for Congress, and and she's a young lady running her second time, and we were talking about all the ways. I said, you know, how can I help you? And and I don't know how I mentioned it offhand, Jess, that I knew you. And she goes, oh, my God, you know Jess Piper, her dirt road Democrat thing. <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm going to introduce you to Kaylee. <laughs> you know, so so you've really kind of, it's almost become a brand that you, you talk about the idea of being at the end of the dirt roads. What does that mean to you, and, and what does it mean to the average American they understand what we're dealing with, with folks like you are dealing with? Uh, I really think it means, you know, not that kind of Democrat, you know, yeah. uh, not a corporate Democrat, right. uh, someone who has always been rule, raised and lived rule, still rule. Um, and it encompasses a way of life that a lot of people think doesn't exist. I mean, they think I'm some kind of unicorn out here, that there are no progressives, no Democrats in rural areas. And that is wrong. And that's why I actually I had tweeted something about living at the end of a dirt road. And someone said, you're a dirt road Democrat. And I was like, oh. That I like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so brand it's in my sense. <laughs> yeah. And what does that I mean? And, and what does that mean? I mean, what, what's what's the unique life at Durham? You, you said it very clearly. It's not. It's different. You know, so many times we talk about you know Democrats, and when we're doing campaigning and all, we talk about the cities. You know, here in Missouri, we focus on St. Louis and Kansas City. Maybe a little mm-hmm. bit Columbia. Maybe a little bit of Spring, Springfield. But you're out in far northwest corner of our state, yeah. and, and there are progressives there, right? I mean, they they you you hear from them. I mean, what are the unique ways that we that our, our, our fellow or, or rural Democrats face with the challenges they face and and how do you help? Well, it, it's difficult sometimes to be a progressive out here. I mean, I ran, I lost, uh, but one in four people voted for me. So, I mean, yeah. that means every time I go to the store that 25 percent of that the people at the Walmart, you know, voted for me. <laughs> they believe in things like, yeah. you know, access um, to reproductive health care. They believe in funded schools. Yeah. When you come out here and. And I truly am in a place that uh, Democrats have walked away from uh, a long time ago. And to tell you the truth, the Republicans did, too. And now they're just getting voted in because of culture wars and and ideology. And quite honestly, um, because they're they're preaching Republican politics from the the pulpits in churches. Right. Um, And so it's difficult place to be. Right. So when um, when the party walks away and says, you know, we love you. God bless you for doing what you're doing. But we can't do anything because it's too red. We just keep slipping into this self-fulfilling prophecy of, right. you know, not having candidates and there's no Democrats out here. Right, right. And 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 the issues you face are real, right? They're very tough. Uh, we'll probably talk about a lot. We're definitely going to talk about schools. We talk about um, rural health care. I mean, th- these are all real battles um, that are being ignored because of culture wars or because the, the, it's just too hard, right? I mean, how often did you hear it's just it's just too hard? All the time. And I didn't want to do it myself. I mean, I love my job. I was teaching American Lit to juniors. That was my my only plan because a lot of times you end up in these small schools and you end up teaching six different subjects, right. you know. So I got in a school that was big enough that I could just teach that. But 2019, the abortion ban came through and my representative... Um, he voted for it, and then he had the gall to go and put in our local papers, 
um, that there was, he was happy that there was no exception for rape or incest. And I was like, that's enough. It's enough. So I wrote to him. I called him. I emailed him. I started posting about him. I wrote a rebuttal in the paper in my ta- in my tiny community to rebut what he had said. And that man would not call me back. And he knows who I am. Yeah. So I, I was mad. And you know my husband, Dust. I'm sitting on the couch one day and I turned to him a couple weeks later. I said, Dust, you call him. Call Alan. 20 minutes, Fred. Oh, my God. Dust has a phone call from Alan. And he said, I don't know. He said, call my wife. She's really mad. So he called me, and I was hot, and I laid into him. And this is what, and I've told this story a couple times, but it resonates every single time. He told me, ma'am, I don't have to talk to you, and I'm calling you out of a favor to your husband. Wow. And I, like, I wanted to pass out. Uh, okay. the, the white rage was popping. Um, <laughs> so that was one thing. And then in 2020, when I went to vote for Joe Biden, there was no uh, Democratic representative for me to vote for. I thought, it's enough. If nobody else is going to do it, wow. I'll do it. And here you are. Yeah, and in a fight, and it's wonderful to hear that. You know, uh, I was on a. You know, we, we talk about this a lot, and as you know, I'm I'm with Forgotten Democrats here with Missouri. We are for disclaimer for everybody watching Favorite and listening. We are sister organizations. <laughs> uh, you know, Blue Missouri is a state level. I'm doing the the congressional level type thing, and 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 so it is that idea that we aren't running everywhere, right? And that's what you do with Blue Missouri. It's like the idea that there just aren't choices for people, and what that means to our democracy. I mean, and you're seeing it in rural Missouri when they don't have a choice. Uh, what does that look like when there's no Democrat in the room? I'll tell you what it looks like. We're training progressives to vote for Republicans. Ah. Because every time I go to the ballot and there's no one to vote for, I pull a Republican ticket. I vote in the Republican primaries because I'm going to vote for the person who's least likely to hurt me. Right. And we have trained a generation of Democrats and progressives to vote for Republicans. And that is... That's awful. And that's what we're up against. You got places in the boot hill, Fred, that haven't had, you know, a Democrat in 30 years. Wow. It's a generation of folks who have never seen or heard a democratic message. Yeah, and and then and then and then the Republicans then only answer the most extreme levels of their their order, of their party, right? And then, like you said, your guy one doesn't even have to respect his constituents, but two doesn't have to listen to him as far as anything beyond the most extreme voices in his in his head because he knows a good primary they're right, right? Right. And the good thing, and this is another thing about having a candidate, I didn't win. I knew what my chances were going in. But here's the thing. I raised a ton of money. They couldn't ignore me. They had to drop $100,000 into a race they hadn't put a dime in in decades. The Republicans had to keep their candidate home. He had to knock doors. He had to talk about schools and roads and health care, things that he didn't want to talk about because you know what he wanted to talk about? Hunter Biden's laptop. (laughs) I'm here saying, no, that has nothing to do with the fact that I can pull pieces of my road off and bring it into my yard if I want to. Right. Right. Um, And so by forcing their hand, by having a candidate, even one that we know will not win, just by having a candidate, we're forcing their hand. Right. We're making them raise money, stay home and talk about issues. And that's what we talk about all the time when we talk about reframing a win in rural parts of America. Uh, that's that's a win until we can you know get to a place where we can flip the seat. And what's the model you use in Blue Missouri? The model is funding down ballot candidates right. because these are candidates, and and I never want to throw shade at the party, right? Right. But here's the real deal. Here's the brass tacks. I ran. I didn't get a dime. Right. And so if we are going to ask people to run and ask people to do hard things, I'm going to tell you the truth, too. It upends your life to run in a rural space, right? right? I loved my job. I loved my career. 
I can't go back to teaching in this small community because I said the word abortion, because I said things that people find offensive in this conservative community, and they'll say, I don't want my kid in our class, right? right? So we're asking people to do tough things. The least we can do is give them, you know, a check and say, we've got your back. If you'll knock the doors, if you'll show up at the chili supper, if you'll march in the parade, we've got your back. Right. And, and that's and that's what's unique. I think that I like about the model and we, we use it for cotton dumps too, is it, it really is about actually getting money. It's not gonna you're not we're not running ads. I mean you don't plan to run the ads right at that. I mean your intent is and what's the feedback you're getting? I think you've been traveling the state, right? Uh, you know, rural areas of the state uh, preaching your message about inclusion and getting Democrats to run. I mean, is what's the feedback you're hearing from folks as you travel the state? They're excited. They're very excited because you know as well as I do, one third of the state is rural. And if we are not pulling along rural Missouri, the way the state, the way rural Missouri goes is the way the state goes. Those 40% of the seats are mostly in areas like mine, you know, cornfields and bean fields um, that haven't had candidates for decades. And so people are excited and, and they're willing to, you know, give. And you know, just like I do, that this is crowdfunding with small donors. Right. It's just like I did for my campaign. But here's the thing, Fred. I raise more money than any state rep candidate across the state, and that should have never happened. I raised $275,000 wow. for a race in Northwest Missouri. Wow. Because when you tell the truth and you tell people what you need to do, they're willing to give you 10 or 15 bucks at a time. Yeah, and you you did something unique. I mean, you, you're very much on TikTok. For those who don't know, Jess is a, <laughs> just a TikTok star. I mean, I, I think that's one of the ways I I found you was on TikTok. I'm not a TikTok star. Um, and you've, you've built a solid following of people who are want to hear your message and listen to your message. And, and you've, you've nationalized a lot of this. And and the issues we just talked about, and, and, and I know Regger, we've had a couple of Missouri folks on the show um, when Crystal Clay was just on, of course, running for governor. Um, and I, I think people, you know, feedback from listeners is is that it, it is true that an issue in Missouri is the same issue in Illinois, rural Illinois. It's the mm-hmm. same issue in rural Colorado. It's the same issue. I mean, rural is America. You know, it, it, every single state from California to New York's got rural Americans who are having these battles and having these struggles. This is why there are Republicans elected in California. It's not the cities. <laughs> it's the rural yeah. counties, you know. And, and so the issues you face are national issues that we have to answer. You know, we had John Nichols in the show uh, a bit, and I did a special with him today. And you know, he talked about uh, Janet Pertoziak uh, um, and her win with the Supreme Court. And she went very hard, you know, running airtime, running ads in rural areas on over-the-air radio, on classic radios. I mean, she made an effort, and and the turnout, as you and I know, at a state-level race, five percent in a rural area. If we do that in every single rural county, how many counties are Missouri? I don't even know. Is uh, hundreds? Oh gosh, giant. <laughs> I had yeah, four in my it's, district. It's, I don't know. Yeah, that's one of those big states that has a ton of counties. You know, and and when you get you five percent more than you would have normally in those counties, you win statewide. Um, that's which is right. Why, this is why North Carolina has a Democratic governor, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's and it's why also by the way by ignoring that, it's why Virginia has a Republican governor, <laughs> right? And so so I think the lessons you learn uh, do apply not just to Missouri but anybody across the country. I think that's why you've got a voice that people listen to is that you're not talking about just Missouri issues. These the issues of folks who live in places where the roads fall apart and the people in power for 20 years don't give a damn are American issues, right? I mean, I saw it in Georgia. Same thing in Georgia. Um, I remember going, I'm knocking on doors myself and having people say, man, I've never had a political campaign of any kind stop on this door 
Um, and they're hungry for it. They're hungry to be feel represented in the scene. Um, you know, and on that, on that note, I mean, what did you hear as you ran that heavily MAGA district? I mean, I think you had some windows broken up, if I remember correctly. I mean, you had some adventures, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I didn't have any windows broken out. Okay. I did have some signs stolen, and something mysterious happened to my car, oh, okay. um, which we never figured out, but I had to buy a new car. <laughs> Fun. Um, but, you know, actually... What I heard that really, really surprised me over and over again is that people would say, you know, you seem like a nice person. You were my kid's teacher. I can't vote for you because I'm a Christian. And that happened the first time I, w I was nearly knocked down with it. And by the fifth, sixth, tenth time, you know, I'd gotten used to it. Um, and so, like I was saying earlier, they really do preach Republican politics from the pulpit. And I have a lot of Christian friends that are Democrats. And so it's it's very confusing. I was born and raised, you know, a Southern Baptist. Um, it's it's hard uh, because of that. And I would say that is one of the biggest hurdles in rural America is, um, you know, Christian ideology and thinking that that is an extension uh, being a Republican is an extension of being a Christian is what they truly think. Um, and then, you know, I, I had some odd doors. I knocked one and a lady told me she couldn't vote for me because she was a Christian, but she looked at my flyer. She said, I see her a teacher and her district had just gone to four days a week. And I was like, aha, I've got her here. Right. I've got yeah. her. And she said, I hope that you'll bring prayer back to school. Oh. And my campaign manager was, was with me and she's like pulling me. You know, she's like, just don't just don't. And I was like, listen, listen, I'm going to tell you, you can pray anytime you want in school. At any moment, you can drop to your knees and pray in school. But it is not going to get your kid 36 days more of school compared to their five day peers. It's not going to bring back 432 days that they have missed K through 12 by going to a four day school. And then I walked away and I didn't get her vote. But <laughs> what are you going to do, right? Right, right. I mean, you can't get past these kind of things. We had the same situation here uh, where I live near, near the city where a gentleman running for school board came by and, 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 and my, 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 my partner agreed with him on most things. And then he goes, yeah, but yeah, I think the biggest issue for me is these transgenders. <laughs> and she's like, what what the transgenders? Well, it's a real problem, you know, the, the, the way they're infiltrating things and, and, and trying to ruin a girl's sports. She's like... Okay, she's like, dude, what transgender athletes are there in Rockwood School District? And, and he had no examples. It didn't, you know, exactly. But he's like, this is my number one issue. Like, bro, what the hell are you talking about? And the only good thing that's gratifying that story is that he actually lost. <laughs> you know, he was yeah. part. He was he was part of the Moms for Liberty slate that that Rockwood School District organized. If you know, if you know our area, it's far west county, Missouri, uh, St. Louis. Um, they they put a slate of their own out. The people who are more progressive and they actually won, which is the chance. And I'd love. We're going to pick up this conversation about schools because it's such an important topic. And I got a retired teacher, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick your brain. Um, we have our first sponsor, Rick. So let's get let's two from our sponsors real quick. I'm gonna tell you a secret. I've moved three times in the last four years, and across all that time, I've subscribed to newspapers, websites, online services, gyms, everywhere. And I go and I completely lost track of which ones I still have and what I'm paying for it all. Well, Thanks to Rocket Money, I finally have a tool to help me sort it all out. Almost as soon as I opened it, I found three different newspapers and streaming services I was double subscribed to, and it saved me money immediately. If you're like me, subscriptions are probably draining your wallet, and that's before I get to all the free trials I've subscribed to over the years and never got around to canceling. The average person has around 12 paid subscriptions, and they might not even remember subscribing to half of those. You have no idea just how much you're spending each month. You need Rocket Money. It's a great app that tracks all of your expenses so you know exactly where your money is going. 
Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. Now, most people think they're spending about $80 on their subscriptions, when in reality, the number is closer to $200. When you're signed up for so many things, like streaming services you use just to watch one show, or free trials or delivery services you don't use anymore, it's really easy to lose track of what you're paying for. With Rocket Money, you can easily cancel the ones you don't want with just the press of a button. No more long hold times or annoying emails of customer service. Rocket Money does all the work for you. Now, they can even negotiate to lower your bills for you, uh, like up to 20%. And all you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money handles it from there. Rocket Money lets you monitor all your expenses in one place. It recommends custom budgets based on your past spending, and they'll even send you notifications when you've reached your spending limit. With over 3 million users and counting, Rocket Money customers save an average of $720 a year. So, do me a favor. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash Fred. That's rocketmoney.com slash Fred. Rocketmoney.com slash Fred. Sign up today. Save money.
is not fiscally responsible. And by the way, give me 20 vouchers. It doesn't matter. I don't have anywhere to take my kid. Every time someone says that, you know they are defunding rural schools because there's nowhere for us to go. Right, and they build these, sometimes they build these schools, like you said, just for the voucher programs, and they're not good schools. They come and go, I and mean, I think according to the research I came back saw today is, you know, many these fail, most of these vouchers, they call them voucher schools, fail within four years. There's, it's not enough money for the vouchers just to run an entire school from scratch. And what troubles me is, having had a child who had a special needs, uh, was on a 504 plan, as they call it, you know, special education. A lot of these schools, they don't have to accept, they, they don't accept kids with special needs or education amendments, correct? Yeah, and it's not just us, you know, making up stories. You can go to the sites of these schools, and they clearly say that they don't accept kids outside of the mainstream classroom. They are legally allowed to discriminate with your taxpayer funds. That would you know how it is and because i had a kiddo with a 504 too yeah they are required to make to meet mm -hmm. you know the needs of those students and i'll tell you something that's even worse you give this kiddo a voucher who might have some sort of disability he goes to the school with the voucher takes his money with him right his eight or nine grand they don't give him services he goes back to the public school every single day and uses the services from that defunded public school that's oh, wow. this that's the scam they've got going to wow Wow. And, and then on the same choice, at the same time, they're also fighting with DEI, right? The, uh, any kind of, uh, right? So any kind, so they're also basically saying they can also discriminate for color as well, and, L, and LGBTQ. And none of these programs are, are Christian-based, and they've already gotten the laws, to, you know, the, the Supreme Court to say, well, if you're Christian-based, you don't have to accept LGBTQ members. So we've got, basically, the, the, the goal here is to create, I mean, we say it very clearly, we're trying to create white Christian schools uh, that are paid for by tax dollars. And there's, there's really no way to deny that, is there? No, and we know the history of vouchers. They come out of the Brown v. Board, you know, decision. Right, right. They called them, they literally called them segregation academies yep. because white folks didn't want to send their kids to school with black folks, so they created vouchers and they created segregation academies. I mean, that's the origin of, of the voucher, and it hasn't gone much further since, right? The, the really bad thing is they've got people, because like you were saying at the beginning, it sounds good, choice sounds good. And I would knock doors, and I had a woman tell me um, she loved her school. All of us love our schools out here, by right. the way. I don't talk to people who don't love their schools. They all did. They'll say, oh, you know, talk about the football team, the first thing. But anyway, she said, I think school choice sounds good. And I was like, you know, that would defund your school. And she said, no, I had no idea. Because the yeah. marketing of, of the words, right? Yeah, yeah. And the budget cut by each, each student leaves and gets a budget cut. And then, and then they talk about closing public schools because there's not enough students. <laughs> I mean, I literally, right. I literally I read an article this week, basically. Like, there, was a, there was an article in one of the stories uh, that talked about how the, the challenges of the, 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 the kids, the enrollments going down to public schools, and they don't know why. So it's because the voucher program is going up. The kids are back, you know, they're being paid not to go to public schools. Uh, right. it, becomes, it becomes a never-ending cycle of failure for these schools. Um, and one thing I always want to tell people about is because I am, you know, I speak to rural issues a lot, is that Betsy DeVos was caught a couple of years ago saying this plainly about what she planned for rural kids. Um, a reporter said, what does school choice look like in rural areas because they don't have choice schools? And she said, well, I imagine that, you know, while kids are working in the fields, they can wear headphones and listen to ebooks. And she said it out loud. And I... Shut up, Trista. What'd you do? And I knew right then, I was like, I got you. You, that's what you think my kid is worth. And by the way, 
Where are kids working in fields? Has she ever been in a bean field? You need a $500,000 combine. Like, my kid's not driving that, especially not being distracted. What she means, though, Fred, is my kid could work at McDonald's. She could right. work at Casey's, right? Right. Um, and then maybe she could get, you know, an apprenticeship at the John Deere dealership um, after she's done at McDonald's. So... They say it. They're putting it out there. We don't need tinfoil hats. Yeah. They are saying the quiet part out loud. Wow. And that's the plan for a whole generation. And I think uh, as a kid, too, I mean, Gen Z hears this, right? I mean, I think it's interesting to me. I wonder 